0: You're listening to the My Care Champion Cast. I'm your host, Lucy Shimatero of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Each month, we invite industry experts and thought leaders to discuss relevant healthcare issues. Join us as we explore key topics that affect Michigan hospitals, health systems, and the health of our communities. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the My Care Champion Cast. I'm Lucy Matero, Assistant Director of Communications at the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Today kicks off Mental Health Awareness Month, a time dedicated to fighting stigma, providing support, educating the public, and advocating for policies that support those suffering from mental illness. We have two very special guests in studio who are here to provide us a local lens on Michigan's behavioral health care system, what we're doing right, where there are gaps in care, and how health care leaders and lawmakers can work together on these issues. The first guest I'll introduce is Dr. Julie Yarrow, a longtime friend of the MHA and current treasurer of our executive committee. Dr. Yarrow is president of ProMedica Charles in Virginia Hickman Hospital in Adrian, Michigan, and senior vice president of inpatient and retail pharmacy for ProMedica Health System. Prior to her current role, Dr. Yarrow practiced internal medicine for 15 years and served in various leadership roles. She has a deep passion for public and rural health and finding ways to improve health by providing quality care close to home. Dr. Yara, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, and thank you for this opportunity.
0: Our second guest is State Representative Graham Filler. He's an attorney and also a friend of the MHA, having worked closely with our advocacy team. Representative Filler was first elected to serve in the Michigan House of Representatives in November of 2018. He represents the 93rd House District, which includes portions of Clinton, Gratiot, Ionia, Montcalm, and Saginaw counties. He serves as the Republican Vice Chair of the House Criminal Justice Committee and is also a member of the Health Policy Committee and Regulatory Reform Committee.
2: Representative Filler, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a big deal.
0: Well, I'd love to start today's discussion just by talking about what motivated each of you to speak on this topic and what Mental Health Awareness Month means to you both personally and professionally. Dr. Yarrow, we'll start with you.
1: You know, um Each year, millions of Americans face the reality of living with a mental health illness. Um, I've worked in primary care field outside hospitals and then inside our four walls. And we still struggle with getting the right care uh, Mm -hmm. for those in need. Um, I think we have opportunities to do better. I I think we need to continue to raise awareness. We need to educate. We need to empower people to speak up on behalf of themselves and their loved ones. Mm -hmm. So I think this month uh, gives us that opportunity to hopefully break down some barriers, collaborate, but really listen to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if a month does it, but if a month can kick off – you know, a yearly campaign to commit to improving awareness, uh, to improving access, um, and to get the funding that we need for the resources to care for these patients. Um, that's why I'm here. Wonderful, wonderful. What about you, Representative Filler?
2: Well, I guess uh, later in the show I'll tell my my personal story um, about dealing with an individual from the community who was just an expert, and and their family was part of. Uh, the mental health and behavioral health system here in Michigan, and I just—I don't think it had been brought home to me until I talked to somebody else. So mm-hmm. you can say as a legislator, oh, "I care about rural health care," I'll sign on to this bill. But until you've sat down with an individual who says, "I've been through the system. Here's what works. Here, here here's what doesn't work." So that really brought home, uh, brought that home to me. And now I've been able to advocate for some bills uh, that we'll talk about, too, regarding mental and behavioral health and how to get better outcomes. Um, but it was, that, it was that personal touch. It was meeting with somebody. That's when I said, whew, this has got to be something that I concentrate on right. in the legislature.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's the thing about mental health is whether or not it affects us right now, it always could. We're all susceptible to being impacted by it, either personally or a loved one or somebody that we know. Um, So I appreciate you both coming on to to speak on this. So I want to give listeners also an opportunity to understand who you are and what led to your current roles. So Representative Filler, if you can kick us off. Um, I know before we hit record, you gave me permission to ask the really fun question of why politics?
2: Yeah, and we, we ask it and we answer it with sort of this wry smile or grin or I mean, I'd knock on doors and people would say so. Are you crazy? You know, are you, you know, have you completely lost it? You're running for office. Um, it was it was Trump's first term. It was a very interesting time in politics, and I just remember thinking, well, I I just kind of I want to do good things. I'd been a, an assistant attorney general before, and as an AAG, I worked with um, mental health professional or I'm sorry, uh, uh, healthcare professionals who had licensing issues. I mean, and it's everything from you didn't do your CE and so, you know, you then you do your CE and you send it in the state to And
0: a CE is Oh, I
2: apologize. No, continuing that's okay. education, CE, sometimes called CMA. <laughs> um and uh or it was, you know, there was this uh physician who um uh, very sadly was an alcoholic and would um would crash their um, vehicle uh driving home uh, inebriated and then want to um go do surgery. Mm. And so I had to work through the licensing and the rehabilitation of that. And I got to work on some really really interesting cases where I was protecting victims and sort of fighting for the public safety. Um, uh, And I said, boy, if I do this and I get to impact all these people as an AAG, I really want to expand. So I'm going to run for office where I can expand my reach outside of the healthcare arena. Into the legal field and just try to make the state better. It's mm-hmm. very idealistic, but you have to have a real sense of idealism to survive those 200 doors when you know a third of them are people who are, f- for whatever reason, upset with you right. when you knock the doors. And so you kind of have to live in this, okay, I'm going to wade through the through the tough stuff to get to where I can make an impact. Yeah. So that's sort of where my heart's at. Um, also, my father was a, like a philosopher and an author mm. um, who wrote about uh, muckrakers. Do you know what muckrakers are? I
0: don't know. Muckrakers actually. are
2: people who take corruption out of politics, medicine, law, um, food regulation, and so that was his big book back in the day.
0: Wow, writing
2: about these folks, and so I was I was kind of born hearing about mm. the impact that you can have on, I guess, making your world better.
0: Yeah. And are you from one of the districts that you represent? I I'm always from, like to ask. I'm from Ovid Elsey. Okay. More
2: cows than people. I have never heard of it. And um just a wonderful, wonderful small town to grow up in. Just go and play until it gets dark and then you're you got better go home or your mom's gonna yell at you. Everybody knows everybody. It was actually a wonderful, wonderful way to grow up. Wow, that's amazing.
0: Well, Dr. Yarrow, I know you also are familiar with rural life. Um, but to switch to the back, the first question that I had asked. Um We've seen a lot of people leave healthcare as a result of the pandemic, either switching gears completely, changing their path, or retiring. So, what led you to your current role and,
1: and why have you stayed in it? So, as you mentioned, I'm a physician by training. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love healthcare. I can't imagine doing anything other than what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having the opportunity to take care of patients um, fills a passion. Um, you know, every day to be able to leave and be proud of something you did or realize how you impacted somebody's life, that is a huge gift. Um, it's also a gift to have people let you into their lives, right. um, which is probably, probably why I chose healthcare. you know. I like the change that happens. I um, thrive on change. Uh, nobody wants anybody to have healthcare, hopefully, performed the way that we did twenty years ago. Right. So the evolution that we've gone through, although many people may push back, it has really affected us in a positive way. We have yeah. better outcomes. Um, we have better dignity to what we do. So that's why I chose healthcare. As far as leadership, I did not have a career path in leadership. I think it was chosen for me, um, but I'm grateful for it. You know, I will say growing up, uh, my dad said always have the biggest seat at the table, and if you have a voice, you need to make sure your voice is heard. Right. And the more I sit in administration, the more the more I realized you need balance. You need the right people at the table making the decisions. And um, it's not all businessmen that need to be sitting at that table. You need people who've been at the front line who actually can talk the lingo that can kind of form a bridge, um, a gap, and, and make sure that the decisions that we choose to make are the most successful decisions. So the pandemic definitely put a lot of pressure on people, but I I will tell you the the folks that went into it because they're passionate about caring for others who have that emotional stability, they're still there. Right. Um, they didn't waver. Um, I started when HIV first came out. Wow. Um, and I think for most of us, when you go into healthcare, you realize there's going to be those ups and downs. You realize that there's a risk and it's probably those risks and those ups and downs that make it attractive for us. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, I never gave second thought of leaving during the pandemic. I was right there with my team. Um, and I'm really proud of what they've been able to do and what they continue to do each and every day. Yeah. Well, to take the question a, a little bit further, why rural healthcare? So I grew up in Chicago, but my parents grew up in the Thumb area of Michigan. Um, I you know we talk about access to care and equality to care and i think there's been gaps in rural health and i watched my family have to navigate those gaps and and so i I wanted to try to find solutions to making that better. You know, healthcare is not just about writing a prescription and making a diagnosis. It's learning about the person and learning about the environment, clean water, um, access to healthy living, you know, air conditioning for chronic lung patients, um, making sure someone has a safe environment to heal. And I would say there's much overlap between my urban counterparts and my rural, but I think we in the rural area, we have less resources, mm-hmm. um, and it was a fight that I wanted to take on. Um, it's an awareness that I wanted to raise so that I can at least state when you come into my facility, the health care I provide is not any different than the healthcare you're going to get in an urban facility. What we do, we do with the same service excellence. What we don't do, it's because we shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I think my passion is that I, I just, I love the community that I serve. I love the people. I love the cows that I get to see every day <laughs> in the wide open space. I think, you know, I have a farm on my campus so that, you know, we grow food that we take back out in the community. I think we can do some really unique things in rural health environments um, that I really enjoy to be a part of. That's incredible. And well, I,
2: I just want to tell you that growing up in a very rural area, uh, there's a certain feeling like thank, there's like a thankfulness. Uh, and now my wife, who's an OBGYN, she goes out to St. John's and then even, even I guess, more rural. And um, the patients are, are very thankful. Like, mm-hmm. thank you for coming here. Thank you for providing your expertise. It's just a di- – I don't know. It's just a different feel. Yeah. You know everybody.
1: Your staff lives in the community. 90% of my staff live in the community that they serve. So it just adds another layer of closeness, of uh, unity. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also adds some additional complexities to it as well. Yeah. I mean, that's the theme that we hear across the board when we talk to our
0: rural members. It's just this sense of community and compassion and understanding. And the people that are taking care of you in the hospital are also, you know, next to you in the aisle of the grocery store. So I think that's a really beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. And we need to support those rural sites because minutes make a difference. You know, with the technology that we have, the sooner we can start treatment on a patient, the better the outcomes. So if we were to lose those rural access sites, we see a significant change in the the outcomes that we're able to provide to the communities we serve.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue into what uh, we're going to talk about today. So um, Dr. Yarrow, I want to start by asking you specifically in our behavioral healthcare system, what are the gaps that we're experiencing and where are there opportunities and also where do our strengths lie in
1: Michigan specifically? So for strengths, it's the people, um, you know, the people who are in mental health. Uh, hats off to them. You know, it is a tough field to go into. You Again, we talked about passion. They truly have a passion for what they're doing because yeah. um, we talk about the emotional ups and downs in healthcare. I think those that serve mental health have an even higher level of that emotional ups and downs. Um, it's not just uh, emotional strength, but physical strength and and f- and they take the brunt of a lot of the workplace violence that we hear about rising so dramatically in the United States right now. Um, and I think it's the commitment we have to to do better is one of our strengths. And in many of our communities, I was just speaking to colleagues in rural and mid sized hospitals. We are seeing that we're doing a better job coming together with partners in the community, that we're starting to talk. We're talking with law officials. We're talking with local schools, uh, community mental health. So we don't longer see each other as competition. We're finally getting to the point that we realize we need to work together. But there's still a lot of opportunity in those conversations to be had. You know, For gaps and barriers, um, that list, I could probably talk for over an hour. Access to mental health beds on the inpatient environment is a huge barrier right now in the state of Michigan. Um, And it's not the physical beds. You know, a building doesn't care for patients. People care for patients. So we do have a shortage in the staff. And it's a team approach to mental health. It's not just a physician and a nurse. It is a social worker. Um... It's a therapist, it's a psychologist. So, we have a shortage across the state of getting the right people to be able to open up those beds and increase access. Um, financial resources, um, a huge barrier. Um, not just in the inpatient world, but I think in the outpatient world, we talk about preventative care. I think many healthcare plans don't have a very broadband coverage. For preventative care, Uh, many people have a limited number of visits they can do for therapy. Uh, We don't limit the number of visits you can do for your diabetes or your blood pressure checks, but we seem to do that for mental health. And I think that needs to change. But when we look at um, the cost of care in the inpatient world, um, many. That have inpatient beds are losing money. I unfortunately in 2016 had to close an inpatient unit, um, and it was due to the amount of dollars that I was losing, and it was due to the staffing and the quality of the providers I was able to have access to. Um, so that's a huge limiting barrier. Right. Well, if you don't
0: mind, can you paint a picture of what those barriers? What? that results in in terms of, like, the patient experience? What are you seeing in the EDs or just the hospitals in general um, for your mental health patients?
1: Yeah, so when patients come in in an acute crisis, um, they can either come in on their own or they're brought to us against mm-hmm. their their will because a loved one or maybe the court petitions them to come in. Um, when they come into the emergency room, um, we need to assess them for any medical um instigator that could be causing that acute crisis, but then once we rule that out, then there's a process they have to go through to make sure that they require an inpatient bed or they can be discharged home with a plan of care upon discharge. That is where that collaborative effort takes place. Um, All of our Medicaid patients or petitions, so meaning the court orders that they come in to be evaluated, must be evaluated by our local community mental health providers. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't speak on their half, but I I do know their resources have become more and more limited over the years in many of the counties that we serve. Uh, So sometimes that evaluation can take a lengthy time. Mm. Um, Many of those evaluations are also done over the phone. They're not done face-to-face. So I think there's a disconnect um, that we're not getting a true picture of what that patient may be experiencing in the moment or getting a a solid history of what they've gone through. Um, Once we have that assessment and we've determined that they do require an inpatient bed, then we need to find placement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the struggle begins. I'm very fortunate that I have a care navigator that does an amazing job forming relationships across the state. So we may be able to transfer our patients a little more easily than others do. But depending on the patient um It can take sometimes weeks, almost over a month, to get a patient. And so then they're sitting in our emergency room just waiting. And if you've spent any time in an emergency room, it's not a peaceful environment. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of sometimes violence. Um, It's not the healthiest place to have a mental health patient in acute crisis sitting and waiting. And there's a cost associated. And there's a cost. And that cost is absorbed by the hospitals. Right. Right. you know pediatric patients typically take much longer and so I'm grateful with some of the dollars that were recently awarded to the Michigan Hospital Association mm-hmm. to increase access for pediatric beds geriatric beds are becoming more more difficult I recently had another facility close their inpatient unit that took many of our geriatric patients so that'll be a struggle um but then also, if you have a violent patient, and particularly with substance abuse, and, and patients who are scared and angry, they're violent. And that limits the places that we can go. Right. We also have restrictions placed on us by Community Mental Health. They, they broker um, contracts with individual sites. So if we have tapped out all of those sites and there's no beds, then we have to go to sites where they don't have an active contract, which can delay getting access to that. Mm-hmm. Um, many patients, we cross state lines. Every state have a different criteria for mental health. That causes a huge barrier for us, mm-hmm. particularly with petition to patients. Um, and the transportation piece. And the transportation. So once we do get a bed, then we need to find transportation. Right. Um, I was just talking to a counterpart in the UP, and they just told me they transport patients all the time down to Indiana from the UP. Um, you pull EMS rigs, so there's a shortage of emergency management rigs. Mm-hmm. you pull them out of your community for several hours, that also compromises the safety of those patients that need that EMS rig for a heart attack or for a stroke. Right. Um, many local law enforcements, they will not transport for us. And I understand, you know, resources are scarce and, and dollars aren't there for transportation, but we don't have a solid network for moving those patients. Right. The other thing, too, that I think is a great opportunity to gap, when those patients sit in those beds we're just trying to stabilize them and keep them from running. Um, So it takes security. Um, It takes staff watching them 24-7. It takes sitters. We have one-on-one sitters that we don't get to charge for those services. So that's added staff, added costs that we can't bill for. Mm. Um, But I think there's opportunity to look at how we can leverage technology And telehealth platforms so that we could start treatment while they're waiting to get a bed. And maybe some of those patients we could stabilize and get them home as opposed to an inpatient bed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the questions around how could we leverage technology and bring psychiatrists into the emergency room for consults and then our ED providers, emergency room providers can start that treatment. You know, and the battle is who pays for that. You know, I I would suggest, you know, could we have telehealth platforms by the state that are regions that, you know, they cover a region. Um, So then we have the volume to pay for those contracts, but then get patients the care that they need um, and get them back into outpatient environments.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you walking through all of that. Um, Representative Filler, how does this issue impact the communities that you represent?
2: Well, first of all, doctor, I mean, there are like five good legislative ideas in <laughs> yeah. there. I'm taking notes over here. Please. I got to sit down with you at some point. Yep. Happy um, to
1: talk to anybody.
2: This is a good connection right here. Uh, so we talk about the gaps. And again, I'm, I think the first thing that I realized and I knew before I came into office is that I'm not some sort of expert in anything. Um, and when you're in the legislature, you're about a million miles wide and five inches deep. It's really fascinating. It's like a one-pager heaven. You know? <laughs> Just things come in front of you. You read about it. You make a decision. You talk to the experts. Um, and so I, I had an experience where in my community, a woman reached out, and she has a high-risk um, uh, child who uh, has behavioral health, mental health issues, and who has been through sort of the Michigan system. And she said, I want to share with you um, some, some ideas I have and some of the struggles that my son has been through and my family has been through. So you know, if you're a good rep, you sit down with whoever and you try to listen. And she gave me about twenty ideas, <laughs> and I just rolled. I just listened. I I wrote everything down, and I took it to one of my policy people and said, "Can you tell me which one of these I can turn into law, and which one of these makes sense?" And she was like, "Okay, this one's really difficult." I'm, like, oh, look at this one. And um, the woman had brought up the issue that. A lot of times individuals uh, with – who are having mental health, behavioral health episodes come into emergency room departments and then um, do not get an evaluation quick enough and end up sitting there. And the importance of the evaluation that you get is it, it triggers everything. It triggers the need uh, – the, 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 we go look for a bed. It triggers what what's the right bed. It triggers do they need a bed. It triggers all the services. This eval is so key. And um, uh, this, this, this constituent said the evals aren't being done quick enough. Let's do them in three hours. Let's, let's have it required to be done in three hours. If it's not done in three hours by CMH, um, then somebody in the hospital with the requisite education and uh, training can do it uh, so we can get this, this person the care they need. Right. I said, okay. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a simple guy. I'm going to put this forward. And I found instant support for the bill. Uh, from the healthcare community, and took it up for a hearing. It was House Bill sixty three fifty five last year. Uh, was not able to turn it into law, but I'm going to uh, restart it this year. Work across the aisle uh, as I always do, and um, I actually have high hopes for this bill. I think it's it's one of those rare bills that just is common sense, mm-hmm. and um, I'm I'm going to work with everybody. I'm going to work with CMHS. I'm going to work with hospitals on saying. Um, there is a need here to get the evaluation done. Everybody acknowledges it. Let's turn this into law. I'll make compromises, whatever I have to do. And Mm -hmm. so um, when you're talking about a gap, um, I live in mid-Michigan, and my district is very rural. Mm -hmm. And we've had a couple of the highly publicized incidents of individuals, um, kids sitting in ERs for multiple weeks, And I think doctor probably would tell you that there are more incidents like that, but maybe these were just the high-profile ones. And that's not good. You don't want individuals sitting, uh, waiting for a bed, needing specific care for weeks. Mm -hmm. That's bad for everybody involved. It's bad for the ER. It's bad for the patient. Um, And... um, so I, I got to kind of be a part of it because everyone would reach out to the representatives. You've got to fix this. You've got to find a bed. And so we would go to bat for them when we'd call hospitals and we would call Cedar Creek and, um, we're going to find a bed. We're racing. And so it really brought it home when you serve as the rep and you see these really bad incidents happen, uh, where the person needs care and can't get it. And so that's a gap and it's a gap. I hope my legislation will help fill. Mm-hmm. It's not a fix all, but I guess it's part of the, uh, It's part of the solution.
0: Absolutely. Well, I know MHA is very supportive of House Bill 6355, and we're looking forward to that being reintroduced. And as Dr. Yarrow had mentioned, we... We're fortunate to get help from the legislature in um, securing funding for a grant that will help hospitals expand or develop pediatric behavioral health care services. So, Dr. Yarrow, can you speak on what you think are some of the potential solutions? I know you mentioned telehealth being one of them uh, that are impacting bed availability and staffing specifically for
1: mental health patients. Yeah. I, I Well, first off, I there are states, there are nations that are Doing mental health better than what we're doing. Um, So I think we need to start opening our eyes and listening to what others are doing and and not reinventing the wheel. We don't have time. You know, every day we waste on finding solutions, Um, it affects a patient. as, you know, we mentioned the telehealth, I, I think that is one of the biggest opportunities that we have. And again, who pays it? You know, can the state assist with that and help provide that as a resource for the local community mental health? I do um, want to, and
2: I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I want to tell you, we worked on telehealth my first term and found support across the board. Now, Republicans typically um, represent more rural areas than the state is what it is, but it spoke to everybody. And the people who have got back to me, I had a meeting last week, I believe, with some healthcare professionals, and they were very positive about telehealth. Yep. Um, they just said it it allowed them to reach so many more people so quickly. Um, and clearly, you know, nothing when there's something a little more serious, right? Maybe telehealth isn't the answer for that, but just the intake and the ability to get an individual to come to their appointment. So I, I was really proud to work on that, support that. Yep. Um, and it was one of our main focuses my first term.
1: Yeah, and mental health is a perfect platform because you're not listening to heart and lungs. You're, you're talking to people. You're watching people, right? You're watching their physical reaction. And if you can meet them where they feel comfortable, I think that also opens the door for additional communication. You know, if you have a student that wants to do their visit in their bedroom where they feel comfortable and safe, that Opportunities telehealth provides access to Mm -hmm. that individual um, or who doesn't have transportation. I think um, it opens the doors to um, so many uh, opportunities, uh, so many additional care plans that we can do looking into the future, but you still need people. Right. Right? So it's not technology. It's not a computer. It's still a person sitting on the other side. So I I think we really need to be looking at our schools, Mm. looking at how we can grow passion for people going into mental health. Um, I am lucky that I have three amazing providers in the outpatient world in my community but they're what we call foreign medical grads. They came from another country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always wonder what other countries do to foster that passion in their residents, in their interns, in their nursing students. Um, you know, And it might be because we have such a strong stigma around mental health that right. people kind of avoid going into that. But I think now many of us have a family member, a loved one who suffered from mental health. Um, Many of us, unfortunately, know somebody who may have committed suicide. I think, um, you know, the current generation, I think there's increasing mental health issues and they're willing to speak up and share their story. And, And maybe then you can show them a solution to what they went through as taking that passion and helping others, paying it forward. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if we can cultivate the experiences that they have struggled with, and get them to act on it and go into mental health. Right. Like. I also think we need to look at licensure. You know, can we expand licensure for psychologists, social workers, so that we have a greater team that can help with patients in acute crisis. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, in workforces too, getting into the schools, you know, the sooner we can get in the schools and talk to students, um, the sooner we can maybe cultivate that passion again. I said, I love healthcare. Um, it was fascinating. Um, I think a lot of people during the pandemic that switched to healthcare did it because it was a stable job, it was access. And so that passion may not be as strong as what we needed. And, and so they're not as willing to take on those higher risk fields in medicine, um, such as infectious disease or, or mental health. So I think if if we can get that passion back into the community mm-hmm. and how amazing it is to be in healthcare, maybe we can increase that workforce.
0: Right. Well, to that point, it's we have to find solutions to the problems that are affecting our healthcare yep. workforce so that they know if they feel a desire to go into it, especially on the behavioral healthcare side, we're going to be taking care of them and they're going to be um, happy and comfortable. So I think that's a really great point.
1: Yeah, it also takes a village. So, right. you know, we've been talking about inpatient and emergency rooms, but we also need to start looking at what patients have access to in their community. We often discharge patients. We don't have anywhere to discharge them to that's safe. We talk about some of those pediatric patients. It's not safe for them to go home when they have threatened to hurt their siblings or their parents. Yeah.
0: or so themselves.
1: And we no longer have the same access to adult foster care facilities, to group homes where we can send patients that don't need to be in a mental health bed on an inpatient world but need a more structured environment so they're compliant with their therapy, they're compliant for their meds and we're really limited particularly in rural areas but even in our urban areas many of those facilities have shut down because they can't afford to stay open, they don't have the providers to care so I think as a state and as a community we need to start really looking at where can substance abuse patients be discharged to Um, homeless shelters are not the right location they can't handle many of these patients. Um, so we need to start looking at state solutions where we can provide affordable housing to patients that they can live and reside in and kind of have a team approach to getting them through their mental health crisis. hmm Well, I know the MHA is
0: also collecting data, um, and what you said reminded me that uh, we're doing that on a weekly basis with our members and our Behavioral Health Council to gain information about behavioral health patients awaiting evaluation and boarding. So we're really grateful to members like ProMedica who are participating in that, and we're hoping it helps us get a better picture of, of what things are looking like for patients and where there might be solutions to address those gaps. Um, a question for each of you. How can listeners get involved in advocating for behavioral health? Representative Filler, we'll start with you.
2: So I, I do give a lot of credit to the woman who reached out and triggered House Bill 6355 because that's what rep- representative democracy is supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. America is supposed to be, you know, anybody can run for office. We're supposed to be of the people, and if you're really of the people, then you're listening and you're meeting with folks. And so I think if people knew how open um, many representatives and senators are mm-hmm. uh, and how interested we are in problem-solving, um, I'm just, just hearing doctors speak. Uh, when I came in, there was a huge focus on talking about skilled trades in school. Because when I went to high school, it was all about four year degree, which is fine, which is a good thing. But then people started talking, you know, there's a lot of folks who who aren't going to go to college or are going to go to two-year. Let's get them into technology, into farm tech, into um, uh, skilled trades. And all of a sudden, and there's a complete need for it and we're 10,000 people short. Huge. Uh, Why don't we do that with healthcare professionals? What does that look like? going into schools and saying, here's a field where you're going to make a great living, where you're going to help people. Um, h- how do we do that? What does that even look like? And mm. so here I am learning um, on the MHA podcast, and I really like that. But um, we're always learning in reps as senators, and we want people to reach out. And so, I mean, at House.mi.gov. <laughs> please reach out. Uh, please please look up my office. We're just really open and uh, I do have a, an interesting window in it because of the rural nature of my district, mm-hmm. and I just think I just think there's a lot of power to reaching out um, because my experiences. Well, I'm I'm married to an Obijuyan, so I guess I have an I- insight. I guess, <laughs> um, but my experiences are going to be different than somebody else with a kid going through a mental health crisis. Right. It's going to be different than somebody who lives, you know, 45 minutes from a hospital. And I want to hear what those experiences are, and what's worked and what hasn't worked. Yeah. And so that that would be my suggestion.
0: Yeah, you hear, heard it here first. Reach out to your local lawmakers. It's important that they hear from you. So, Doctor Yarrow, I know you've been involved, on, you know you've testified or provided testimony in House Health Policy Committees, and you're a part of our Rural Advocacy Day events. And when there are opportunities to engage with the lawmakers, you're always engaged, and we really appreciate that. But what advice would you give to someone who maybe hasn't? advocated for healthcare in Michigan and how, how can they get involved?
1: Uh, look within your local community, start local first, um, reach out to anyone who will listen and don't give them the opportunity not to listen. Don't <laughs> give up. Um, but, you know, when you're sharing your story, also brings solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you have more meaning to your story um, when you can help be part of that solution and also commit, you know, the time and effort it takes. Um, local county commissioners, judges, um, law enforcement, schools, Um I know many people say, well, you know, my voice is only the voice of one, but if your voice can be then emanated or repeated in another voice, and I think people start listening a little bit stronger, they start seeing the pattern they start seeing the need, but I would say, um, don't give up. There's no crazy idea out there. There's only opportunity, um, you know, for families, we need to hear your stories and I understand it's personal. It's hard, um. But don't wait until it's too late. You know, advocate for your loved one or your friends as early as you can. Reach out to their primary care providers, reach out to their teachers, to their instructors, and don't give up. Keep putting that hand out there. Um, Because as many a times as it may get slapped and pushed away, you know, you'd be amazed at how many times that someone will grab onto that hand in that lifeline and be willing to accept the help that you're there to give them. Um, So, you know, persistence. Persistence and creativity. So if somebody's not listening to your message one direction, change it up a little bit. And um, you know, my my poor family are a sounding board for me every single night before I go in front of legislature. I go down to the, you know Washington to talk and and you know, I think um, the more ways you can tell your story, the greater access you have, the greater your reach, um, the better opportunity you have to make change.
0: Right. Well, one of the first things you brought up that's working is our. Collaboration and unity in this space. So we need that from the general public too. That's not just healthcare people. That's that's everyone.
1: Yeah, it can't. This is not a solution for just you know lawmakers um, in Lansing or for hospitals. You know, I mentioned it takes a village to care for someone. Absolutely. Um, I spoke to some colleagues that were successful enough to get millages passed, and those millages are used specifically to help get resources for mental health patients. Um, Those dollars can't come from one resource. Mm -hmm. Um, Those volunteers need to come from multiple areas. And so I strongly urge communities, if you don't already have collaborative efforts where you put law enforcement, schools, healthcare providers, community mental health um, around the table, then you need to start doing that. You need to start sharing what your reality is. There's a lot of assumptions out there. And that's what I think has made us go down rabbit holes. You can't assume that you know what others are going through. So we need to listen. We need to share our story, but we need to have diversity around the table. So we're making a sound decision that makes sense going forward. Absolutely. Those are great points. Well, Rep Filler, I know you
0: mentioned your website. How else can healthcare constituents and community members get in touch with you?
2: Social media. You can follow me on TikTok. (laughs) It's very funny, but um, I don't dance. I just talk about politics, and it's just allowed me to reach out to a sort of a different generation. Mm -hmm. uh, And um, I believe the short videos are sort of the future a little bit. But Yeah. um, uh, yeah, social media is a great way to find me. And uh, just know if you send me a message we you know we get that message and we respond in some manner. Uh, come into the office if you're in Lansing or request a meeting or you know tell your tell your local uh, hospital reach out. I mean, I just feel like there's a lot of power behind it. Some people are so negative about politics. All those folks don't do anything. They just go and they argue, and you know, left and right just wanna um, fight, and especially nationally, you would think that was true. But I can right. tell you. My experience at a state level is we're problem solvers, and, um, and, and we really want to hear from folks.
0: Perfect. And on TikTok specifically, you're looking to break down really complicated information. You're not just speaking the jargon on your videos. You're really trying to make it compelling and interesting for people who maybe aren't as close to the work that you do.
2: That's right. So I realized when sitting here I haven't done really a, a healthcare TikTok yet. Mm. And so we typically pick an issue that people are following. So, for instance, I did a dirt roads TikTok. Uh, last week about how um, there's a new rule from the state of Michigan, which I think is damaging dirt roads, which is very relevant to my district. So I spoke out against it. I spoke to the science behind it and what goes into that and broke it down in a minute and a half. Mm. And so that's sort of, you know, just a way to reach out.
0: That's great. Any TikToks about cows?
2: No, we're (laughs) going to do a cow TikTok. Nope, we're going to do it now though. Oh, perfect. Yes.
0: We'll definitely capture something to promote this episode. But Dr. Yarrow, any Uh, Websites or resources that you want us to know about Prometica, or where we can find information um, from your organization, or to connect with you specifically.
1: Yeah. So if anybody goes on prometica.org, you can reach out to us. Um, You know, I'm I'm known within my organization, so any message that is left through that platform will get to me. You know, it also encourage people to reach out to MHA. Mm -hmm. You know, if they feel that there are certain topics that Michigan Hospital Association should be fighting for, or just raise awareness to please. Please do that. I also would like to just put an invitation out there. You know, I, I really appreciate everything Representative Filler's done, but any um, representative out there to please reach out to their local hospitals, take the opportunity to walk through an emergency department, take the opportunity to walk through a, a mental health unit, see the people, listen to them. So I would challenge everybody in the state that has some. Um, Ability to move legislature to walk into a healthcare facility and see with their own eyes what we need, what we can do together. Absolutely. Well, we definitely try to make it as easy as possible
0: for the public to get in touch with our local lawmakers at MHA.org. And I do want to mention that. In terms of being educated on mental health, we also want to remind listeners that there's resources through the National Alliance on Mental Health, the Mental Health Association of Michigan, and the Children's Hospital Association. So we'll be sure to provide links to each of those in the episode's description. But thank you both so much for being here today. It's been wonderful to have you. You're both experts in what you do, and um, I I really appreciate you talking on this topic because I know it's not easy and there's a lot of work to do. And um, these conversations, I, I hope, will move the needle.
1: Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I am hopeful. I think I think we will start making change. That will be positive and, and felt by the communities we serve. So I appreciate this.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And MHA has been a great partner, I want to mention. And so I just look forward to working with them. And I, I hear that this podcast goes everywhere. So I'm excited <laughs> that um, – that there might be some feedback and some some outreach. So thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. And hopefully with the help of your TikTok, we can promote it and go viral, right? <laughs> well, thank you both again for being here. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. As always, anyone who'd like to learn more about the topic or today's guests are encouraged to visit MHA.org. Thanks and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the My Care Champion cast. To learn more or get involved, visit MHA.org.